Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. In this episode, go behind the mic with Academy Award-winning actor Matthew McConaughey, actor and humorist Nick Offerman, and Tony Award-winning songwriter Aeneas Mitchell. Step into the recording booth and hear what it was like for these artists to write and record their audiobooks, how the experience of reading their work affected them, and what they're most excited to share with listeners. Enjoy. Hi there, everybody. This is Matthew McConaughey, author of Greenlight. Ooh, what inspired me to write this book? Well, I've been writing diaries and keeping diaries for the past 36 years, and I guess I finally got tired of daring myself to go open that treasure chest of diaries and see just what the hell or heaven I had in there. And um, I got some little bit of time on my hands. That treasure chest kept staring at me saying, come on, you wuss, take us away, open us up, let's see what you got. And so I took that treasure chest up on its dare with a little help from my wife to say, get the hell out of here. You know you need to go write this. You've been threatening to for years. Quit threatening and just go do it. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be out loud. Yeah, definitely out loud because, you know, I, I wrote things down. I then went back and looked at my written words and stories and people and places and prescribes and poems and prayers and bumper stickers. And in writing the book, I remembered each moment when I wrote those and where I was in my life and how at the time when I wrote them down, however many years ago, it felt alive. It felt vital. It felt immediate. So I put them in a book. You will read them. I tried to make them feel and read as immediate as possible. But boy, when I got to read the book aloud, like I do with Green Lights, it all came back. It took me back to those moments in a way that's different than reading the words on the page. It took me back to the vitality of the moment where I first had the incentive or the inspiration or the thought crossed me and I put it on the page, the beer coaster, the napkin, and finally in the diary years ago. I did not read my book aloud while writing it, but for the audiobook. Uh, reading it aloud, again, brought me back to the vitality of the situation I was in. I got to give you my intonations that may just be an ellipsis or a comma or an exclamation mark on the page. I got to give you my nonverbal ooh, uh, things like that that, that, that that for me make it even feel more alive. I got to give people voices accents, funny ones, odd ones, real ones, true ones, ones that I imagined that maybe they never even had. I got to give you that. So I got to perform the book is what I got to do. Reading it aloud, I got to perform this book and (laughs) I really enjoyed doing so. I'm proud that I was able to give every character their own life, give every moment in my life its own life. Sometimes I would be reading a story back when I was 18 years old and I, in reading the book, would slip into how I felt as an 18-year-old live when it happened. 
when I was able to read and say things that I realize now that I'm 50 years old, I was able to hopefully say them as if I just felt and understood them for the first time now in my life, but also objectively, you know, looking back on everything that where I had such innocence to now where I'm like, oh, you know, you figured that out or you think you figured that out and you've got more figuring to do. But just to give a voice to characters, to time and to place, place. Hopefully I was able to paint a picture for you where I was, who I was dealing with, who I was crossing, who I was at the time. Oh, if I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Morgan Freeman or Sir Anthony Hopkins. Both of them, I believe, would completely get the humor of this book. I think Morgan would laugh out loud in the reading of it, and he's got such a great laugh. And Anthony Hopkins, who has such a dry, dry wit about him, would give another type of humor and wisdom to the book in his pauses in his sort of sometimes dry delivery, think humor and lessons would creep up on you in his read, which would be very interesting. And if it wasn't those two, Bono. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is when I'm on a run, when I'm working out, or when I'm taking a slow meandering road trip on a really not very crowded two-lane highway off the freeway somewhere in North America. And now listen to a clip from my audiobook, Green Lights. Spring, 1988, my senior year in high school, I was rolling. I had straight A's, a job that kept 45 bucks in my pocket at all times, a four handicap in golf. I'd won most handsome in my class and was dating the best looking girl at my school and at the school across town. Yeah. I was catching green lights. Never the too-cool-for-school guy who leans against the wall and smokes a cigarette at the party. No, I was the guy who danced at the party, the guy who chased the girls and worked his way to the front row of every concert no matter how late I arrived. I gave effort. I was a hustler. Hello, this is Nick Offerman, author of All Rise. When I first started performing All Rise in 2019, I never imagined that it would become an audiobook. There's a weird chicken and egg process going on here. When I first started writing and touring as a humorist, my friend Rashida came to a show and told me afterwards, I really like your material. You have a clear agenda. It feels like you're reading from your book. And that was the first time that I thought to myself, oh, maybe I could write a book because I have more stories that I could share with the audience. And traditionally, books come from me touring as a humorist, but not vice versa. So I was very grateful when Penguin Random House Audio said, hey, do you want to turn this humorist show into an audio commodity? And I said, by God, that sounds like a good idea. The recording process for this particular piece was much easier than most audiobooks because a lot of it was already recorded by me performing it live. And so 
It reminded me of earlier books I've written, and when they come out in paperback, Dutton, my publisher, will ask me to write some new eye-catching material for the paperback release in much the same fashion. I wrote, you know, a little bit of introductory material and a conclusion to kind of bookend this property, but otherwise it has gone much more quickly than reading a 250-page book. When I was performing this for, you know, the intimate solo listener, as opposed to performing it amplified on a live stage, there were some pretty intense differences. I mean, my recipe is usually an attempt to make an audience laugh for about 90 minutes or so. And I'd say I'm moderately successful at that. But then I try and sneak a bunch of broccoli into the pizza so they think they've had a wonderful treat, but maybe on the way to the parking lot, they have something to think about. In the same way, as I was recording this in studio, I really felt the intimacy that, you know, I, I was speaking of decency and human clumsiness on my part and the part of all of us in our country, you know, directly into someone's ear. And that made me take it, I think, more seriously than the sort of chuckle fests I'm usually involved in. So hopefully it will be effective. I have a podcast with my wife, the legendary Megan Mullally. It's called In Bed with Nick and Megan, and people seem to like it quite a bit. When asked if it's similar or different from recording audiobook experiences, I would have to say they feel like two entirely different creatures. First and foremost, Megan is in the driver's seat of our podcast. I ride shotgun on that thing, and so I feel, you know, not a great deal of responsibility. I feel like I'm a side piece there to chime in. But by and large, she's usually driving that narrative, so it doesn't feel like my energy is at a sort of peak level. Whereas when I'm doing any sort of audiobook recording, whether it's my own writing or that of someone else, it becomes kind of athletic. You know, especially if you try and put in up to like a six-hour day of recording the written word spoken out loud, you learn pretty quickly that it takes a great deal of energy and breath and stamina to render the written word out loud with the appropriate amount of energy and context so that your comprehension makes the best possible listening experience for the listener. It's something that I find quite exhausting, but also really, really satisfying if you have the good fortune to, you know, read Mark Twain out loud or Wendell Berry or George Saunders. I would also love to read some women authors, but none have asked me to yet, which surprises me given the feminine nuances that I bring to everything I speak. But, you know, eventually they'll figure it out. I just love doing audiobooks. So, you know, whenever I see something good being read by like some jerk actor, I'm like, man, if they're going to get some jerk actor, I'm one of those. I listen to a lot of audiobooks myself, and then Megan also curates. She's the entertainment director in our house. 
and we do a lot of long drives together. And so we usually have uh, some cleverly chosen fiction on the road, which we find quite enjoyable. We really love mysteries. But part of my own sort of salve during the recent travails has been the books of Rebecca Solnit I'm finding really soothing and inspiring and eye-opening. Right now, I'm in the middle of, I believe it's called The Art of Getting Lost, which really has an incredible point of view and a wonderful imagination through which she renders the real world in new and exciting ways. We're very big fans of George Saunders in this house, and George reading his own stuff is really moving and heartbreaking and hilarious all in turns. I'm always behind in my reading pile, and Megan is a great reader of fiction, so she's always recommending things to me. And one of the things I hadn't gotten to were the novels of Zadie Smith. So I finally have listened to a book of short stories and White Teeth and is it Swing Time? It is, yeah. And the thing is, when you get a great reader, it really can help render the book palatably in a way that, you know, may even make it stand up and sing to you better than you could do it yourself. The last one I'll say, I was besotted with Richard Powers' The Overstory, which won the Pulitzer in 2019 for fiction. What a gorgeous, gorgeous novel that I read and then listened to. And I think I'm probably going to have to read it again. It's all about a disparate six or seven protagonists, but all of their lives have somehow focused around trees. And ultimately, the book kind of makes you look at the world through the point of view of a tree, which I find a very pleasing thing to do. As a woodworker, if you asked me if I was going to build my own recording booth, I've been in recording studios that show the evidence of a talented woman or man using wood and tools, but I don't know that woodworking is the greatest combo for building a sound studio where the most important thing you need, I think, are, you know properly angled and insulated walls and electronic equipment. And so the woodworking portion would probably just focus more on aesthetics and I'd try and make the performer or performers feel whatever the particular funk or jazz that the day's work wanted to be infused with coming through the way the wood has been used to create the multifaceted structure of the wall surfaces off of which the funky bass lines could bounce. And now, please enjoy a clip from my audiobook, All Rise. To my way of thinking, everybody in the world seems to be complaining these days, right? Nobody is looking around and going, uh, yeah. This all seems fine. I'm good. Except maybe somebody who is currently in the process of freezing to death. Because I understand that at the end, that's actually very peaceful. 
Hey, I'm Anais Mitchell, and my book is called Working on a Song. I was approached about publishing a book of just the lyrics of Town as they appear on Broadway. And I wanted to do that, but then when I started thinking about it, I got really excited about the idea of also sharing these old drafts of all of those lyrics and being able to share a little bit of the process of how these songs for this musical evolved over many, many years and different productions. It was a big creative project in my life. Like it was, you know, most of my adult life (laughs) I've been working on this thing. And so it was partly sort of a therapy for me to be able to go back and see what happened, you know, what happened during that creative time. And then I also got inspired by the idea that maybe my process could be helpful to other people who are trying to do the same kind of stuff. Maybe there are lessons that I learned that would be useful for someone else to hear. If I had to describe what it was like to record this audiobook in one word, the word would be revealing. And I say that because I guess I'm a musician first and foremost. I am a songwriter and there's always a moment when you're making an album where, you know, you've been listening to different mixes, maybe with different versions of things. And then finally, like you get to the end of that process, you make a master and you listen to the master and you're hearing the album with new ears because it's done. I felt that reading the words from the page of the book, it felt like, oh, this is a finished book, you know, and I've been living with the book in various states of unfinishedness for many months. So that's what it felt like to me. A word or phrase that I realized I didn't know how to pronounce, yeah. So (laughs) there were a few of them, but the major one is the word for a song that appears twice in like a musical, R-E-P-R-I-S-E. I never knew if it was reprise or reprise. And the word comes up a bunch of times in the book, so we had to make a choice. I looked it up. I solicited advice from people, and it's kind of anything goes. Like, both versions are technically correct. But we chose to use reprise for the noun version of the word and reprise for the verb version. One thing that I have been able to do in the recording of this audiobook that obviously I couldn't do on the written page is sing some of the melodies of these old lyrics. And that actually has felt really exciting to me because lyrics are not meant to be spoken. You know, they're not meant to be just read on the page. It's not the same thing as poetry. It really, it's like it lives with the music. And so it was nice to be able to just kind of casually fall into those melodies at times when I wanted to. If I hadn't recorded this book myself, who would I have asked to do it? All right, this is probably entirely wrong for this particular book, but I've heard some recordings of Dylan Thomas reading his work way back in the day. Just like such a beautiful reader, speaker, and amazing Welsh accent. And as a sort of lyricist poet, I think he would rock it. I really loved the Neapolitan novel series by Elena Ferrante. And I read a couple of the books, just paperback, and then I listened also to one of them. It was really interesting to kind of make that switch from the voice that I had in my head to the voice that was reading the book to me. I can't remember who did that narration, but it was very expressive and sort of deep and dark. 
My favorite place to listen is probably driving in the car. And I do have a memory of driving with my husband. We were on a tour, like a songwriter tour, and we listened to a Stephen King novel in its entirety, like on this tour. And it was a really great way to make the miles go by. And now listen to this clip from my audiobook. Every version of Come Home With Me began with some version of the cosmic naming of the lovers, which is a motif in the show. Something about the lovers speaking or singing each other's names aloud invoked the cosmos, Romeo and Juliet, the star-crossed inevitability of their love. Off-Broadway, more than one person asked, but why does Orpheus fall in love with Eurydice? And my response was, because he's Orpheus and she's Eurydice. For many, it wasn't enough. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash nextlisten.